Funding for WPLN News comes from you, our listeners, and Bernstein Private Wealth, working with creators and innovators to invest with intention and build the legacy they want to leave behind. More at Bernstein.com. I'm Khalil A. Colonna, and this is Nashville. Okay, so if I've learned anything since we've launched the show, it's that a lot of y'all care a lot about this city, specifically where our taxpayer money goes and how our city leaders divvy up our budget. Last week, Metro Council passed nearly $3 billion budget. Later this hour, we're bringing you a special Citizen Nashville episode all about the city budget. We'll hear from the council budget and finance committee chair, and a self-proclaimed local government obsessive. Then we'll invite a few stakeholders to talk about what this budget means for their area of work, whether housing or education. Plus, we're answering your questions. So tweet us at This Is Nashville. But first, it's time for At Us. Each week, we take time to read the comments so you don't have to. Yes, I am encouraging you to literally at us on Twitter at This Is Nashville, on Instagram at This Is Nashville underscore WPLN, and at WPLN News on Facebook. Joining me now with a look back at the past week is our digital lead, Anna Gallegos Cannon. Hey, Anna. Hey, Khalil. It's glad to be back in studio. Glad, glad to have you back. So, what has been on our listeners' minds this past week? Well, I think it's no surprise that listeners have had very, very strong reactions to last week, last Friday's show. Yes, that was a crazy day. So after uh, the Supreme Court overturned Roe v. Wade that morning, we pivoted and did a whole show about that ruling and what it means for Tennessee and seeking abortions. We got dozens, I mean dozens, (laughs) of tweets during that show and after. It was great to see that kind of engagement, and we will definitely continue to produce more shows about this for a while because, you know, the debate is not going away. No, it is not. So what else stood out to our listeners? A lot of folks really connected with our episode about Promised Land. It's this itty-bitty town just a mile west of Nashville that was founded by formerly enslaved Tennesseans. A couple of our producers went out there to their yearly festival earlier this month and met a bunch of the descendants who have worked really hard to keep their history alive. You know, that was a really special episode. It's like I got a got thrown back in time Mm -hmm. a little bit. It was really wonderful, particularly to talk with Dr. LaRotha Williams Mm -hmm. of TSU. It was great. Well, while you were on the air, we actually had quite a few people who listened with ties to Promised Land who reached out to us on Twitter, which was actually really, really cool to see. Um, One of them was soul singer Cy Smith, who was born in New York City, but tweeted us, quote, I couldn't be prouder of my mother, Serena Gilbert, and elder cousin, Sokotu Fulani, as I listened to them discuss my family's historic homestead of Promised Land, Tennessee. This discussion filled my whole soul up. Mm-hmm. Other, other listeners, like Kate Whitley, appreciated us highlighting a not very well-known part of the state's history. She wrote saying, I loved learning about this history. I had no idea. I love that everybody there is now cousins. Everybody is cousins. They, you know, that probably benefits you when it comes to your birthday, I think. <laughs> you definitely get a lot of presents. That's right. <laughs> you know, so we also received a unique thank you this week, right? Yes. Um, a listener, Lane Blasey, listened pretty carefully to our episode with trans queer theologian Dr. Robin Henderson Espinoza. Lacey wrote to us saying, y'all are doing the most by doing the least difficult thing, by cons- consistently keeping Dr. Robin's pronouns in check. 
and properly addressing them with the respect uh, for their hard work. And you know, guess what? It was actually pretty easy. We always keep our guests' pronouns in check, and we make sure to ask anyone who appears on our show about how they identify. You know? A simple respect thing. Exactly. It's about treating humans as humans. Mm -hmm. Of course. Shouldn't be too hard. What else from our listeners? So, as you know, we always try to be a resource for our listeners. Uh, For yesterday's show on Wednesday uh, about mediation, we shared a couple of links to the Nashville Conflict Resolution Center and the state court system about, you know, what they say about um, mediation. Deborah Taylor Tate reached out to us on Twitter to say that rural Tennesseans in need of mediation assistance should look into the Justice Bus, Hmm. which I actually just love the name of. (laughs) The WPLN News Desk actually covered this recently. Uh, The Justice Bus is actually a mobile resource that allows lawyers to meet with folks where they're at with services they need. Um, We've added a link to our on our mediation episode post at thisisnashville.org for anyone who wants to learn more about the Justice Bus or see any other resources. Okay, so today's show is a Citizen Nashville all about our city's budget. But we've also got another Citizen Nashville in store for next week, right? Of course. Um, Citizen Nashville are some of my favorite episodes. Yes. So just coming down the pipeline for next week, uh, the episode is all about public transportation. And as always, we want to hear from our listeners uh, what they think about the current bus and rail system and how often y'all use it. So if you want to weigh in, you can go to our website and answer the questions on the survey form there. Just scroll down. should be right in front of you, and it's really easy, and we will definitely appreciate anything you tell us. An episode about public transportation. As a former bus rider, I am ready for that. It's going to be great. Thanks to our digital lead, Anna Gallegos-Cannon, for this roundup. Anna, we'll see you soon. Same time, same place next week. Of course. And our listeners know where to find me online. Don't forget to add us on Twitter, Instagram, and Facebook. Let's keep the comments coming. Also, fill out our community survey to let us know what topics you want us to cover at thisisnashville.org. It's super easy and quick, and it helps us produce the shows with your needs and interests in mind. We have to take a short break. When we come back, it's time for Citizen Nashville. Today, it's all about Nashville's city budget. Tweet us your comments and questions about the new Metro budget at This Is Nashville. We'll be right back. Khalil E. Colonna, and this is Citizen Nashville. We've talked a lot here at WPLN News about how to serve you, our communities, better. So a few times a month, we're bringing you a special hour we're calling Citizen Nashville. Our goal is to answer your questions, round up resources for you, and make sure our leaders hear your needs loud and clear. Today, we're talking about the city budget. Tweet us your questions at This Is Nashville. So last week, Metro Council passed their substitute budget, which is based off of Mayor John Cooper's plan. The city budget affects all of us, but it can be pretty difficult to navigate. This year's Citizen Guide is over 700 pages long. Yes, you heard me right, 700 pages long. So this segment, we're inviting a few guests to help break it down and answer your questions. First, I'd like to introduce Nicole Williams. She is a self-proclaimed local government obsessive who occasionally writes up Metro Council recap as a columnist for the Nashville scene. Nicole, welcome to the show. 
Hi, Khalil. I'm happy to be here. So happy to have you with us. Um, I want to ask you first, I've got to know this. How did you become, as you say, obsessed with local government? Well, that's a great question. Um, I actually wrote a an essay for the scene about my journey to becoming a local government obsessive. And essentially, when COVID hit, everything shut down and I had a ton of time on my hands. So I started watching Metro Council meetings. Um, I can't really explain why that happened. But once I started watching, I realized how important our local government is and how much ability we have to actually affect what happens on the local level. And I just started like obsessing over hmm. these meetings and boards and commissions and trying to make sense of it all. You know, I heard that you watched Metro Council meetings dating back to 2012. That's pretty wild. Who does that? I guess me. Yes. <laughs> I love it because at a time during the pandemic where everybody's watching Netflix and streaming services, you're like, I'm going to check out my local government. Yeah. Why not? Yeah. The, the drama. I'm not even kidding. Y'all. The drama is incredible. Okay. So the drama at Metro Council meetings is much higher than Bridgerton. Um, it's Bridgerton level. Let's oh, say. All right. Let's say. All right. <laughs> It's going to be the top rated show in the city pretty soon. <laughs> All of us also with us is Metro Council member Berkeley Allen. She is the Budget and Finance Committee Chair. Council member Allen, thank you for being here. Thank you for having me. Glad to be here. Glad to have you with us. So first and foremost, let's talk about the budget itself. What are some of the biggest priorities in this new budget? The, the mayor, when he introduced it, said his priorities this time were on education and neighborhoods and safety. And, and we see that in the budget. It was the, um, it's a $1.1 billion education budget to Metro schools. Um, and for the first time, we've got, um, uh, $30 million from various places for, um, affordable housing, which is a huge topic that we heard from along the way. Uh, working up to this budget. So he's he's been responsive to that and the council um, built on that as well. So those are those are some of the things that jump out most immediately. So we've been soliciting questions from the community. We got this voicemail at thisisnashville.org from Jerry Park. He's affiliated with Nashville Organi Organized for Action and Hope through his church. At NOAA, they try to set what they call a moral budget. He has some thoughts on how a budget reflects on the city's priorities. It tells what is important to you and who is important to you. And a moral budget uh, designates financial resources towards taking care of the most vulnerable of us, the ones that are least able to fend for themselves, the people that typically get left behind. A moral budget also does whatever it can to eradicate racism, and social and, and income inequity. Council Member Allen, what does our budget tell us about our city's priorities right now? Is our budget a moral budget? Um, I think we have definitely been influenced by um, wonderful pressure from folks like Nicole and Noah who uh, who hold our feet to the fire and remind us what we need to be focusing on. And and again, as I mentioned, the, I think the, the housing um, Funding, I think, is going to be helpful in two things. One, building more housing that can be afforded to live in, as well as creating a new Department of Homeless Services and getting that funded as well, which is also in this budget. So I think those are examples 
of trying to do our best to take care of the most vulnerable. And for the first time this year, we have an Office of um, Diversity Inclusion that created an equity lens, and every department um, sort of ran their department budget through the equity lens and said, "Are we, you know, are we, are we being thoughtful and intentional about how this um, our specific department budget?" affects um, all people of, you know, of the vast diversity that we have in Nashville. So that's, um, that's a new focus that we have this year that I think shows up in small things um, in, in departments, which I'm uh, grateful that we've just got somebody who's in charge of reminding us all to, to be thoughtful about that. And another thing that, that NOAA has been a great advocate for is um, trying to move funding from um, cops in cages is kind of the, you know, the, the buzzword that we hear to, uh, more, more towards education, more towards dealing with mental health. And this budget expands our partners in care program, which is a, a mental health professional going with the police to respond. Um, and also we'll be adding an, a non-police response, which is just a mental health professional and uh, an EMS, uh, emergency medical services person, responding to some of those. So um, I think we're we're learning to to do better what the public has been asking us to, which is to say how do we how do we solve these problems in a way um, that are responsive to the to the needs of the people. Now, when all of the departments filtered their equity um, availability and to through this department, what was their response? I'm interested. Um, that's a great question, and I was not privy to that part of it. We had a presentation by the um, the director of that department who showed us some of the questions that they asked, which is, 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 you know, does this does this affect the black and brown community fairly? You know, have you thought about how this will um, will work in different parts of town? Um, so that that's not a process that that was kind of baked in by the time we got it, and I I can't say what specific changes were made. Um, except that it's it's the first time that we've been that intentional about asking the questions and, and requiring the departments to to think that way. Well, we'll see where we go from here in next year's budget. As we've mentioned, right. the budget can be a lot to take in, and several of our listeners had questions about the process itself. Here's one voicemail we got from Katie Miller. It would be really nice to have a good overview over the budget process. So how is the initial budget created? How does it go about being amended? Um, I know there's a timeline for this, and there's always multiple votes that the council takes on the budget and on all these amendments. And it's just hard to figure out exactly how that process is supposed to go and how it normally goes. Okay. So lay it out for us, Nicole. You've been watching this process for fun. I'm curious, as a careful observer versus a participant in the council, what have you learned about how the Metro budget gets written and passed? Um, So I think that the process before it gets to council is pretty opaque. We, the citizens, don't really see what happens at the mayor's office. I think Councilmember Allen's discussion about that equity lens is a really good example of that. We have no clue how that was baked into departmental budgets, if at all. Um, So there's you can think about it basically in two phases. You've got the mayoral phase and then the council phase. So. Ultimately, council, like Congress, has the power of the purse, so they have to approve the budget. Um, And that's what they did last week, Khalil, as you were saying. Mm -hmm. So the mayoral phase starts with departments submitting their budget requests. And this starts early in the year, um, usually, you know, January, February, March. 
past mayors have done public mayoral budget hearings with those departments. Uh, Mayor Cooper abandoned that tradition. He seems to think that it's not necessarily helpful. Um, And so we don't see any of those questions from the mayor's office to department heads. So uh, the mayor's office and the finance department work to craft a budget that reflects the mayor's priorities. And departments basically never get everything that they ask for because you're asking for the moon. Uh, You're not going to get it all, but you've got to go in with, with a tough bargain. And the charter requires the mayor to submit a budget to council by May 1st. So then it's out of the mayor's hands. Council takes over and they go through their process. Um, It has to go through three readings, which means council has to consider it three times. At the second reading, that's where that big public hearing happens. So people are able to come in and voice their opinions. Um, They're able to react to the mayor's budget, except like you were talking about, Khalil, the citizen's guide to the budget is 700 pages long. It's really hard to know what to react to and how to react to it. Um, So you're kind of out of the loop as a citizen from the start and you're playing catch up. But the council is also playing catch up to a certain degree because from the time that they get that mayoral budget, they only have until June 30th to pass a budget. So they do their own departmental hearings. That's actually required for council to hold hearings. Um, And they'll typically question the department heads on whether the mayor's budget meets their needs. Um, And then those are public. So you can watch those all, uh, all of those public hearings. And based on that feedback, along with like the council work sessions, the budget and finance committee chair will work with the finance department to submit a a substitute amendment. substitute budget. So that's like the council's budget. Um, From there, council members can submit amendments if they don't like the substitute necessarily, if they want to see something different. Um, We saw several amendments this year. And one of the important things to realize is that we have to have a balanced budget. So that means that whatever council wants to add, they have to take that money from somewhere else in the mayor's proposed budget. Mm -hmm. And generally, they like to take that from places that don't require them to uh, to take it from other departments. So they're not taking money from MNPD to give to housing or the Office of Homeless Services. MNPD is getting more money every year. Um, what they like to do is take money from like contingency accounts and savings so that they really don't have to like make anyone angry <laughs> or really... Um, really prioritize resource allocation. And I've been pretty critical of them for that. Um, But then by June 30th, they have to pass a budget. Uh, If they don't approve the substitute budget, then the mayor's budget goes into effect. But this year they approved the substitute um, with about, I think there were four amendments. Okay. Now I want to come to council member Allen, but first I want to get into a follow-up question from Katie. Let's listen. I try to stay up to date on what Metro Council is doing, but I always find it confusing around budget time. It would be great to have some explanations about the various ways that the council and mayor go about allocating money. For example, I hear terms like the budget, the capital spending plan, capital improvement plan, etc. And I don't really understand what the differences between those are. Council Member Allen, what is the difference between the budget and the capital spending plan? Great, great question. So the budget is actually the operating budget. That's what we spend on a day-to-day basis. 
Um, and the capital spending plan is the big things that are going to last for longer than 10 years or be more than $50,000 worth of, worth of cost. Um, so the little things we can do in the, in the operating budget, and that happens once a year exactly uh, on the schedule that Nicole laid out so well. Um, and the capital spending plan is generated based on what's called the capital improvements budget, which is our wish list. And if you want something to get built, you know, a specific sidewalk in your district or a new library or whatever, that has to be in the capital improvements budget. And the council passes that on a, on a regular schedule every year. And then from that, the mayor's office creates the capital spending plan, which is this is what we've decided we're going to authorize for the upcoming year. Um, and then some of that stuff actually begins to begin to happen. And there are some things that have been in the capital spending plan that for whatever reason we're still waiting to, to actually begin the, the process of constructing. So it, it lines up from capital improvement budget wish list to getting authorized, and then somewhere down the line, then it finally gets built and the money gets spent. Now, Katie says she tries to keep up on the budget, but struggles because it's confusing. Councilmember Allen, what's your reaction to that? Mitch, I, I cannot argue with the statement that there is an awful lot of information to take in. The, the Citizen's Guide to the Budget, which is the, the word that you've used, is on the Metro website under the Finance Department. And um, it's it's a, 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 you know, drinking from a fire hose wealth of information. But uh, there is an executive summary at the front of the of the budget, and that's probably a good place to start just to sort of see what the priorities for the for the year are and what the main differences from one year to the next are. Um, and the, the budget ordinance itself is about 28 pages long, but if you go to one of the schedules in there, you can sort of dig down to, here's what the major departments are actually getting. And those are kind of the two biggest pieces. Um, and there are several council members, council member Mendez does a great blog where he lays things out. I have a monthly newsletter where I try to put it in, you know, uh, bite-size amounts that people can, um, can absorb. So I think, you know, trying to connect with people who are working on the budget and ask them, can you break this down for me, can help get it into something that's a little bit easier to to digest. Yeah, it's like reading the budget or reading War and Peace. Um, <laughs> exactly. Yeah. A question for you. How many public hearings were there this year? So great, great question. We did add a public comment period in March, which is something new, and we're going to build on that next year, I think, and have it earlier in the year before the mayor even begins his budget so that the the opportunity will be there for the public um, to say on the front end, these are our priorities and things that we, we want you to include in the budget. Um, that's new. That's not required. The charter does require um, that we have a public hearing in June after the budget comes out. Um, and then there are also a number of community meetings that happen both at the district council level and, and kind of from the budget and finance committee level that um, often are opportunities from which we, you know, expect and hope for responses from the public just through um, through emails back to us. So that that opportunity is is always there. And we we certainly got lots of feedback on um, on the budget, both beginning at the public comment period. And once the budget was announced, people um, I think many people do a good job of, of emailing to the whole council, which is appropriate. Um, and hopefully we can continue to make it easier for, for folks that are learning how to be involved in the process to communicate with us. 
If you're just tuning in, this is Citizen Nashville, and I'm your host, Khalil A. Colonna. It's a special episode all about our city's latest budget. Here to break it down for us are Nashville Scene columnist Nicole Williams and Metro Council member Berkeley Allen. All right. So it sounds like our mayor has a lot to, a lot of sway over what goes in the budget. Listener Mary Ellen Pedden sent us a question about that. Can you talk about the strong mayor form of government that Nashville has and how this affects the budget and what the power dynamics between the mayor and the council look like? Do other cities distribute budget decision-making in other ways that are better or worse than we do? And how does this translate to the representation and power of our districts and the people that elect the mayor and the council members within the budget? Nicole, what is a strong mayor system? I mean, what does that mean for that budget, for our budget? That's a great question, Khalil. Um, so strong mayor systems are really common in major American cities. So we are like a lot of our peer cities. We operate in a strong mayor system. What that means is that the mayor who is elected has basically total authority over um, administrative matters. So he is the chief executive. He has authority over administering the budget. Uh, the council still has to approve the budget, but all of that oversight and authority largely rests in the hands of the mayor. Um, in a weak mayor system, so let's think about sort of the opposite, the mayor doesn't have any authority outside of council. So administration, including the budget, is really driven by the council. So what a strong mayor system means for us is that essentially the mayor drives the budget process. And um, that's also just the way that our budget process is set up in Nashville through our charter, which is like our founding document for Nashville. Um, and so that really puts council in a reactionary position when it comes to the budget. Like I mentioned, they are reacting to the mayor's budget. Um, they are not preparing their own budget out of whole cloth. And so what they're doing is really tinkering with the mayor's budget, really playing around the edges. Um, but as I also mentioned, I think that they have more power than they give themselves credit for. And I think that they do have an ability to more accurately represent the wishes of the people of Nashville um, if they were to really look at, does it make sense to keep funding these departments at the same level? Councilmember Allen, what's your reaction to that? Um, I think that's, <laughs> that's why we love to be pushed. Um, I think that, that it's absolutely true that we are, we are handed a budget um, and we um, you know, ultimately, it still has to be a balanced budget. So, as, as Nicole said earlier, if we if we want to give more money to one department, it's got to got to come from another. Um, and in the, in the process, there are many different council members who sat down and went through the exercise of, you know, I want to take it from this fund or I want to take it from this department. But ultimately, it it was a group decision um, to try to do things that we that we felt would be less impactful. Um, so there was there was some shuffling of, of things to be funded later from departments. The library, the police, the fire all had things that were originally, quote, in their budget that are now coming back in um, another sort of reserve budget. Um, so that that's really kind of just moving the columns. That wasn't a substantial change. Um, as you probably know, the, the council did take money that was going to the Chamber of Commerce just essentially to make a, a statement that with the frustration with um, some activities the chamber had done 
earlier in the year regarding education at the state level. So um, there are some feisty council members who don't don't uh, hesitate, I think, to to make statements with uh, with the funding power that we have. But ultimately, if um, if we feel like the departments are doing what we need them to be doing, we don't want to take away their ability to do that. And we try to find the money in other places. This year, interestingly, was probably the biggest amount of money shuffled from one place to another, I think, in any historic budget, just with regard to changes that the council did make. And it's it's the biggest budget we've ever had. So I think that, but proportionally, I think it was still the most tinkering that, that has ever happened, partly driven by um, some shortfall in the in the school budget. And that's a that's a big priority for us. So we worked really hard to find different places where we could move money to ensure that our schools had the budget that they had asked for. Mm. All right. We got some voicemails about some specific issues like this one from Victoria Thacker on transportation. I think Nashville should prioritize a public transit rail system to make navigating around easier. Of course, they think affordable housing should be prioritized as well. But with the price of living so high downtown, if there was a rail system, it would allow quick, easy, and affordable transportation for those that can't afford to live downtown. Nicole, how does this new budget deal with transportation? It's really hard to say, Khalil. Um, obviously, a few years ago, Nashville uh, voted against a transit plan that would have provided a dedicated source of funding to really enhance the city's um, transit system. And until we have a dedicated source of funding, it's going to be really hard to make any transformative changes. The budget this year uh, really doesn't make those kinds of transformative investments in public transit that I would like to see. And we seem to be really focused on making streets easier for cars to navigate, uh, though I'm sure that the mayor's office and perhaps the council member would disagree with me on that. The Nashville Department of Transportation got 45 new staff members in this budget, but a lot of those are for things like litter pickup that that don't really seem to advance the goal of making Nashville a truly multimodal city. And council actually took a million dollars from WeGo, our public transportation, uh, to free up funding for other things in the substitute budget. And I'm sure council member Allen will talk about how that funding is going to be made up. But we really need to be not taking money away and expecting to make it up from other sources, but pumping money into our public transportation. Now, after this... Councilmember Allen, is there anything else you want to, people know, anything else you want to add? Um, I think it's just important to know that Nashville's a growing city. We're trying to figure out, you know, the best way to use the funds that we have to make it grow in a smart way. We do have um, Vision Zero is our, our transportation um, goal to reduce dangerous intersections so that it is safer to be a pedestrian. I think that, as Nicole brings up, it really is important. Um, to be able to use our streets as a pedestrian or a cyclist or on scooters even. Um, and there is money in the budget for those things as well. So I think that's important for people to be aware of that, that we're trying to focus on um, on things that make it a better place to live. And we're, you know, sometimes flying the plane while we're trying to put it together because we've never dealt with this kind of growth before. But um, public input is always is always important and always welcome. And we um, hope that what we put together feels like a moral budget to people Schools was top of the list, and, and we've tried to make transportation better. Uh, she's exactly right. We need a dedicated source of funding to really get transit going, um, and I think that's a conversation that will come up in the next campaign for, for mayor, so I hope we'll have a good discussion about that. And okay. Get that into the, the future budgets. 
Public input is important. Here's a little personal input. I would like to see more funding for sidewalks in Nashville. Enough said. I think a lot of people will agree with me. Okay, so before we let you go, real quick, Nicole, I have to ask you about these budget bingo cards you make. (laughs) You know, to help folks at home follow along with budget hearings at Metro Council. Apparently, it's must-see TV. How did you come up with that idea? I have too much time on my hands. Okay. I live alone and I have two cats. I've got three. Oh, wonderful. Okay. Mm -hmm. Great. So basically, I started seeing these little things that council members would do. Um, You could sort of predict like council member Angie Henderson saying betwixt and between or respectfully um, or council member Sharon Hurt reading off a really moving speech from her phone that she had typed up um, or council member um, Dave Rosenberg trying to defund the Chamber of Commerce. So these things I just noticed and I thought, wow, it'd be really fun to try to get people engaged in the process by doing this silly little game. And so that's why I did it. And I I have fun with it every year. And I hope that people have fun with it, too. I'm playing with you next year. Awesome. Guaranteed. That is self-proclaimed governmental, local government obsessive Nicole Williams. She was joined by Metro Council Member Berkeley Allen. Thanks to you both for being with us today. Really appreciate it. Thanks so much, Khalil. Thank you. We have to take a short break. When we come back, we'll talk about a few of the key issues in the budget with some of the people who are most impacted by the numbers. How might this budget affect you? It's not too late to hit us up with your questions or comments. Tweet us at This Is Nashville. We'll be right back. Khalil Colonna, and this is Citizen Nashville. Last week, the Metro Council officially approved the new $3 billion budget. It's more than 12% larger than last year's budget. A good percentage of that is from new revenue. As we've been hearing, this budget includes raises for public school employees and some costs of living adjustments for Metro employees. Now, we're gonna turn to a few community members to learn how the new budget will impact their lives and the work they do for the city. I'd like to welcome Nina Stroud, paraprofessional with Metro Schools, Serinthia Author, who serves as chief as the chief union steward at Metro Nashville Emergency Communications, and Shirley Marks, the co-chair of the housing task force at the Nashville Organized for Action and Hope, or NOAA. Thank to you all for being with us today. Thank you. Shirley, let's start with you. This new budget allocates $20 million for affordable housing. How do you feel about that? I think there needs to be more money put into the budget for affordable housing. And, um, you know, one of the reasons I, you know, have that opinion is because— I am a therapist, and I have worked at the Salvation Army uh, over on uh, Dickerson Road, and I have seen over the years how difficult it is to place um, residents at the transitional housing program into affordable housing, and I see uh, a lot of 
residents, not only at the Salvation Army, but in the community as well, that have to go to, um, um, you know, to Lebanon or to Clarksville or, or Gallatin to find affordable housing. And, you know, I feel that's not taking care of our citizens here in Nashville. Um, and another concern is that with affordable housing, um, they have recently um, the um, the homes uh, behind the Salvation Army uh, River uh, River River Chase. Chase yeah River Chase, and uh, there was not any. Uh, decision about affordable housing with the new tenants, I mean, to the owners of uh, the new complex. And so they're going to, you know, build, um, you know, housing, but it's not going to be affordable for our citizens here in Nashville. Uh, we have um, our, our colleague, Ambrio Crutchfield, has been writing about this case in River Chase specifically. You should, anybody wants to listen, go to WPLN.org to learn more. Now, education was kind of a key area of this budget, and this year's focus was on support staff who are looking to get raises, paid family leave, and a 4% cost of living increase. Nina, what difference has this made for you as a Metro Services employee? Nina. Difference for me. Yeah. Can you can you hear me? Yes, I can. Yeah, it's made a huge difference for me. It's um, I'm gonna stay with Metro. I can now breathe and not feel embarrassed to say that I work for Metro, and uh, I won't have to get a second or third job. I'll be able to just do the one job that I have for Metro. How have your colleagues been reacting? My colleagues are excited. Um, there were so many of them that were not going to return in August, but because we've all gotten raises, uh, they're going to stay. Mm. Uh, that's that's good to hear. Now, Cerinthia, you work for the city's emergency communications department. Yes, sir. Basically, when someone calls 911, they talk with you or one of your colleagues, right? Yes, sir. I bet that's a really tough job. <laughs> it is. It's rewarding, though. But you have to stay on your toes. You yeah. definitely have to pay attention to not just what they're saying, but what's going on in the background and everything else around you. It's It's got to be an emotional roller coaster. What's rewarding about it? The fact that you were there to help someone. Mm -hmm. um, I say it often. Our every day are the citizens' worst days. Um, so being able to be that person that sends the help that they need in a timely manner it's more than rewarding, you know. Mm -hmm. I'm happy there's someone there to answer the call. Mm -hmm. Now, I understand that emergency communications are among the Metro employees who are seeing raises and cost of living adjustments. Yes, sir. What difference will that make to you and your family? A sigh of relief. Um, it's definitely not what we asked for, uh, but we knew we probably wouldn't get it. But it is a sigh of relief um, that we were compensated for what we go through, what we hear, you know, the time that we're spent at the job. What did you ask for specifically? Uh, 7%. 7 percent. 7%. Yes, sir. Okay. Okay. And what you're seeing is a 4 percent. Yep. 4.5 percent. Yep. So next year's budget, you're going to ask for more? We are. 
Okay. We are. We're definitely going to keep fighting for it. Um, a lot of people who work at 911 actually don't live in Davidson County because they can't afford it. Mm. That's a story we hear a lot. Yes. A lot of people in a lot of different situations. Now, yes. a couple years ago, the Emergency Communications Department was given a change in designation from secretary to public safety. Yes. Why is that change significant to you and your colleagues? Um, well, the title secretary, I never want to demean anyone's profession. Um, but secretaries don't usually take their work home with them. Um, a lot of 911 professionals do. Um, we do have mental health um, therapists that are available to us, but um, I don't know the last time a secretary heard someone take their last breath or heard someone, you know, harm themselves or the cry of a mother who found their child not breathing. Um, and also with the public safety, we get up, we get the pension that the police and fire get as well and we work side by side with them mm -hmm. if you're just tuning in this is citizen nashville and i'm your host Kaliole colona we're talking about the metro budget pet that passed last week my guests work for the city in education emergency services and affordable housing three key areas for this year's budget now affordable housing is a topic that comes up again and again on our show people are being priced out of nashville in davidson county as we heard just now due to surging housing prices and rapid, rapid development. I'd like to hear from all of you on this, but Shirley, start with you first. Looking at the budget and considering our situation, really tell me, what are your hopes for the future and how we get this settled? I, I hope that uh, in the future that there's more affordable housing for the uh, citizens of Nashville, Davidson County. And not only affordable housing for, you know, the working, uh, you know, people that work uh, for Metro and other uh, state who can't afford uh, housing here in Nashville. Um, in fact, uh, I've lived in my house for 35 years. If I decide to leave, I'm a retiree mm -hmm. um, uh, from Davidson County Sheriff's Office. And if I decided to sell my house and leave, I could not afford to live in Nashville, Davidson County. And then also looking at the homeless population, uh, the need for not only housing for the um homeless population, but then also supportive services. Uh, a lot of times, John Q. Public just think, oh, they're just out there and not knowing their story. Uh, there is so many of the homeless population that have severe mental health uh, issues, uh, addiction issues as well. Uh, so, um, you know, for me, uh, the budget, including services for them. And especially since the state, starting tomorrow, July 1, will make it a felony for homeless people to be on private property. Um, you know, that's just a kick uh, in, you know, their face for them. Now, Cerinthia, you touched on this just a minute ago. You said some of your colleagues who work with you, work for the city, but can't afford to live in the city. What is the significance of that situation to you? It, it's tough. It's tough. Um, we we have to know the city. A lot of people um, spend a lot of time. We already go through extensive training. 
Um, a lot of people who don't live in the city aren't aware of the new bills and they're not aware of the new buildings. So, you know, if someone actually lived in the county, they would be just a little bit more aware of what the city looks like, you know, and that couldn't help with response time. Mm. It, it, that, that, that reminds me of when people are talking about uh, police and law enforcement and yeah. how they stress that police officers work and live in the same area so they know the community that yes. they're serving. Here you are dealing with, this is emergency services. This isn't anything light. And it, they're saying that it would be very, very helpful for you and your colleagues to be able to live here, to know the nuances of the neighborhoods and the area. Oh, yeah. The ins and the outs. It would be nice if you're in the middle of it. It's always better to know what's going on firsthand. And that would be a benefit to us all. To everyone. Yes. Now, we're watching prices raise in every aspect of our lives. Food and gas are just a few examples. Nina, you said that a lot of your colleagues work two or three jobs. What? What does that, having to work extra jobs to just to make it by, what does that do to morale and performance? Um, it, it causes us not to be focused on our students. You're constantly thinking about, can I even make it to work? Is it even worth me coming into the city? Um, and this is the it city. So it, it impacts um, everyone that works for Metro because not being able to live in a city that you work in that says, hey, I, I have to choose something else. I have to leave. And that speaks volumes for this city to not make it affordable for the people that work for them to live here. You know, I imagine, again, as with Cerinthia's job, emergency services, you're in education. These are two vital and very important fields that benefit all of us in the city. How does that, how does the fact that you and your colleagues may have to work two or three jobs, you have low, low morale and its effects on your performance, how does that affect the students that you're working with? They can tell, the students can tell that uh, we're stressed. The students can tell that we're not focused on their needs. Um, and it also impacts them in that many of my uh, colleagues left this school year, this past school year, to go live in Clarksville, Gallatin, or other outlying cities of Nashville because they just can't afford to live here. And so if you don't have staff at schools, then that negatively impact students on so many levels. Looking at the future, Shirley, what would you like to see from the city in terms of how it allocates its money and, and how it sets its priorities? I'd like to see um, more priority uh, with the you know affordable housing for the citizens and um, services for the homeless. I'd like to see that as opposed to a new stadium. <laughs> mm. That's just, it, you know. Yeah. Yeah. Cerinthia? I, I agree um, about the stadium. I would love, of course, for something to be done about the homelessness the population in the city. And like you were saying earlier, it's more than, oh, they're homeless. A lot of them do have mental health issues, and we're not focusing on that. Um, 
But I would love to see, you know, when they do build these new condos and these new residential neighborhoods, a couple of them set aside for Metro employees or, you know, full-time employees. They don't even have to be Metro employees, but full-time employees, you know, at either a discounted rate or, you know, some different kind of financial assistance to get them in those homes, to give them a leg up because they are full-time or Metro employees of Davidson County. I've only been here for nine months, going on 10 months, but having this conversation and observing, it feels like the, sometimes the city's priorities can be on the haves and the have a littles. Yes. Not mm-hmm. necessarily the have nots, you know? And a big part of this budget was about building up Metro services and retaining staff. Nina, do you think that this year's budget does that? I think it does it temporarily. I think. Mm-hmm. It, they could do more I, I'm, I'm, because my husband works for Metro Public Works and they still didn't get all the money that they asked for. Metro schools didn't get what they asked for, all of us. So there's still work to do. Most definitely. There's a lot mm-hmm. of work to do. And that this is kind of a Band-Aid over something that needs stitches. Mm. Hmm. So in terms of how the city treats it's Metro employees in the future. What do you want to see from them, Sarinthia? I want them to listen to us. There's a reason why so many people were at the Metro budget hearing and they were pleading, crying their cases. There's a reason that many people were there. Um, granted, I'm just getting familiar with Metro budget and getting you know my feet in the door and learning about everything, but it speaks volumes for pretty much the whole room to want to have something to say, to want to speak. You have to listen to the people that live here. You have to listen to the people who work here. So you're about to become a local government obsessive, kind of like Nicole <laughs> Williams, huh? I'm not sure if I'm going to start a bingo sheet, but I am going to be paying more attention. Okay, maybe play bingo with us next year. <laughs> Nina, I want to ask you what you what how you want the city to treat Metro employees in the future. Um, just as she said, I think they should listen to us and um, take into account some of the suggestions that we make, like. They provide busing for Metro students, provide busing for Metro employees too. Mm. Um, make it some of the affordable housing for Metro employees to keep them here in the city so we can still be that it city that Metro employees want to continue working for. That is Nina Stroud. She was joined by Shirley Marks and Serenthia. Thank you so much for being with us all today. I really appreciate you. Thank you for the work that you do. We want to thank everyone who tuned in this hour tomorrow. Get out your turntables. We're playing some vinyl. Well, we're exploring how Nashville is a hub for the old school way to listen to music. One of my favorite ways. This is Nashville is a production of WPLN News and Nashville Public Radio. Listen back at thisisnashville.org or wherever you get your podcasts. Our producers are Steve Harouche, Rose Gilbert, and Tasha A.F. Limley. Our digital lead is Anna Gallegos-Cannon. Michaela Elias is our technical director. Our executive producer is Andrea Tudhope. Shout out to our intern, Doreen Shernecki. I owe you some cookies. That masterminds behind our music are LaRange and Namir Blade. Special thanks to TJ Ducklow. The conversation doesn't end here. As always, you can tweet us at This Is Nashville, find us on Facebook and Instagram, and tell us what you want from our show by filling out our quick survey online. This is Nashville. I'm Khalil A. Colonna. We'll see you tomorrow, everybody, and be good to each other. <laughs>